Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD bodybuilder, back with another episode on Swole Radio. Today I'm joined again by Alberto Nunez, who's the master of shreds. And today we're going to be talking about his last prep, famously known as bulking in the year 3000. So sorry, his last bulk. And we're going to be going over everything that he went through, what he learned, and then hopefully at the end, we'll get some updates on his 2022 prep. How are you doing, Alberto? Doing good, man. Doing good. Just just uh, three weeks out from actually pressing the contest prep button. And you know how that is. No way out once you do that. So yeah. getting antsy, bro. Flip the switch. <laughs> All right, sweet. Yeah, so we're going to be jumping into his last offseason and just sort of hearing a broad overview of how things went and then trying to get a little bit more nitty gritty into the diet and training aspect of things. So yeah, maybe starting off with just the bird's eye. When did when did things start and when did they end? And your maybe some stats. Hmm. So yeah, man, it was 2017, which is crazy to think about. That was I got off the stage November 2017. And legit, it feels like two years ago, I think, with everything going on the last few years, like, you know, like 2020 and 21, just feel like a blur. So uh, those would have been the years I think I would have gone on stage, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that it worked out this way. So it's been quite a while since, yeah, I, I put myself in in that position with uh, the clock ticking and and you know pursuing something very specific. Um, but uh, but yeah, November 2017. And what I was most excited about that exit, about ending that prep, was hmm. we had modeled the recovery diet for a while now. Um, but personally, it hadn't been something that I had experienced myself. It's it's something that, you know, at some point we got to the drawing board as a team and we're like, all right, we need to figure out a better way to make for a softer landing post contest for, for our athletes. And I had taken many people through those, those uh, th- that phase of the contest prep diet and with a lot of success, uh, so it was really neat to actually experience that for the first time myself. Mm-hmm. And I can easily say that a month later, um, I almost felt ripped off. Like, I'm like, where's the whole weird phase that comes like post-show? Like, like I, 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 I feel like uh, I was ripped off in regards to the experience almost because four weeks later, at least in my specific case, I felt exactly the way I felt when I started like the prep, like the week before. Nice. So, so it worked and, and, and obviously that gives you more time to like, okay, I can get straight into like making progress now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that transition phase is something where, you know, a lot of people kind of have misconceptions about. And then I guess, so when you started out, what were kind of your stats at that point? Um, so it was 160, 160 about. Uh, that was about the, the the running average, and two weeks later, it's about one seventy, mm-hmm. and then another uh, two weeks later, I was probably like one seventy two to one seventy four. So there was a big burst in body weight, okay. and then that kind of slowed down. So ironically, four weeks later, I was where I started the actual contest prep diet. Mm. And, uh, and, and yeah, that's where we started marching forward with this current off season. Yeah, no, I think that, that that's, I agree with that strategy, you know, like pulling yourself out of the fire 
and just getting yourself into like a healthier position where Mm -hmm. the way I see it is I'm kind of just cracking into that, you know, digging phase and prep right now. I'm four weeks out and basically, you know, like the way I see it is I used to play League of Legends when I was uh, in high school, which is like, for those who don't know, it's like an online role play game where you run around like killing people. And one of the things you could do is you could throw a curse on someone. And like, when you put this curse on them, they would be like bleeding life points. It would just be like, you'd see these little red numbers, minus five, minus five, minus five. And that would last for like a minute or something. And that's kind of how I see it when you crack into that unhealthy level of body fat, where when you go below a certain range, you are just bleeding life points, you know, like, and even if you, even if you brought your calories up to like maintenance and you were maintaining at that level, you would still not be in a good position. So yeah, I think that seems pretty sound. Starting off, what was your rate of gain? Like after that initial, you know, recovery phase. So right after that, um, I personally kind of started almost hitting my usual walls where it, it just felt a bit more like the regular off season where, you know, it's like maybe every five pounds, you need some sort of adjustment. Um, so th- that was very odd to feel that, it, you know, but I think a lot of it was because virtually, I guess a lot of people would see it as like, I just undid what was, I think about five months worth of work in literally one month. But you know, I, I think once you go through enough of these phases where it's like, okay, been shredded, not shredded, it's like you just kind of see it as a continuum. And it's like, well, if I want my next contest prep to go well, this is what we have to do. So very quickly, I got myself into that position where it's like, okay, man, because I let my habits kind of just carry me there. Like I just mm. kind of, in a responsible way, of course, years of good habits embedded in there already, just was kind of eating as I pleased, right? But then it got to the point where it's like, okay, there's that wall. Okay, now you need more structure simply because you're not getting enough food to continue gaining weight. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, very quickly. And that was, that was probably the most shocking part. It's like, okay, this is odd. I need structure now because I can't gain weight if I yeah. just <laughs> eat how I please. People hate um, you. Which, you know what, I think to to a large extent, some of that, because um, you know how it goes right now, it's like the clock is ticking as you're prepping. It's like, okay, that first meal takes a hit on the quota for the day. So there's like that scarcity mindset that's kind of just built into that situation. It's, mm-hmm. you know, right? It's like breakfast is done. That's 20% of my calories, right? And you can't help but think about that. And I think especially with people with with good habits, it's it's one of those things where you can really play off that. You know, because I, I'm sure, for example, in your case, you probably have a, a certain body weight that you would be able to maintain quite easily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after the first week post-trauma, you could probably like more or less kind of sort of eat in in that manner. Because to be quite honest, that's pretty much how you, I'd say you probably prefer to eat nowadays. Um so, so yeah, yeah, 175, got to 175. And then from that point, um, the real off season began, which was nice because I, I really don't start to feel, I guess, like strong and predictable mm-hmm. until I crossed the, the 180 and that's where I needed to go to next. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, yeah, just to give people an idea, once you got into that, you know, comfortable range, what was your rate of weight gain? Okay, so... With my gaining phases, just to keep them a little bit less meticulous, 
I kind of like to set the weight range target and give myself a range in regards to how much time it get, it takes me to get there. So in my specific case, it was like, okay, so from this 175, your goal is going to be 188 to 192. And you're going to do that. And I think I, I set up something along the lines of like eight to 10 months, might've been six to 10 months, just because I didn't know how predictable things would be. Um, but I like doing it this way because shoot, I think everyone's worst nightmare, even if you overshoot fat loss is very correcting anyways. And realistically the difference between 192 and 188, okay, maybe it's like two more weeks of fat loss, maybe three, right? So it's, it's, it takes off a lot of the pressure and it makes you okay with the fact that, Hey, some months are going to be faster than others because that's usually how it goes anyways. And, and for me personally, um, yeah, it just, it, it, it also lets me, I, I guess, auto-regulate intake a little bit more as opposed to whatever intake I've calculated that's going to yield me, you know, that uh, mythical half a percent of body weight a month where like if I'm like, pretty overreached or, 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 you know, training is maybe going really well and I can pull back some of the calories. It kind of lets me play with that factor as well. So pretty broad windows in regards to like what I'm aiming for weight wise, I think by, by the standards of most people and same thing with like how much time that takes. And even with the calories, like there's probably going to be like a 600 calorie window between my low end and my high end. And not to say that I stay on one side or the other, but I kind of let it hover there and, and I let my, I guess, lifter instincts that I've developed over the years kind of tell me what direction I want to go in. You know, if it's like, hey, the girlfriend took me to the mall for two hours and I was just chasing her around everywhere. It's like, okay, we probably need to be on the higher side today because tomorrow's a leg day. So I like pliability and autonomy. And the more you can teach your athletes and yourself to do that, uh, the better they off and they are they are in the in the long term and the system can be more dynamic that way. Mm, yeah, I really like that intuitive approach. And I think it's something that it comes with experience, but it has to come with the intention of building that experience, where yes. I think it's easy for people to get caught up, you know, in my fitness pal and counting things all the time and, and not even thinking, you know, just like staring at the number on the scale and just throwing food on or having specific, very specific structures where ultimately you want to think about bodybuilding as something where you can really just go I feel and still be accurate, right? Like if you mm -hmm. have, if you go in with the intention of building those skills, you'll be able to kind of do things intuitively and still be very, very accurate, even from a numbers perspective. I like the fact that you said with the intention of building those skills, because what that means is that we expect you to mess up sometimes as you're trying to, because that's how you learn, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if you really overshot shot that bulk and you're at the high end in like month five, it's like, okay, well, we're learning here. And that's that's precisely how I got to this point. It's been a lot of messing up that's gotten me to the point where it's like, okay, I kind of know where all the landmines are hidden along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so to get a sense of diving in a little bit more into your diet, you said that was kind of like a 600, you know, calorie difference. What, what were your calories and macros, at least in the earlier phases, say in the one eighties, uh, weight wise? Mm. 
Um, so coming out of the prep, I had gotten myself to the point where I was on a like pretty linear intake that was like 31 to 3,200 calories. Hmm. Um, and I don't know what, what I was eating necessarily on the way out. I just know that it was more. But then once we got to that point where I'm like, okay, I'm nice and recovered, I kind of just ran some calculations and I'm like, okay, I think maybe a thousand calories or so above where I was maintaining is probably going to give me a surplus that is appropriate for my training age. Uh, this is also taking into account that I had gotten rid of a lot of uh, my cardio, which was mostly coming via step count. So like you, you throw that in there as well. Um, I was averaging like 12,000 steps a day uh, during the, the peak of, of the prep. Mm. And I kept it there even as I brought calories up just so I didn't have two variables that were, were moving. Um, so, so yeah, 4,000 and I made a living off that for like a good, almost two months. And then, you know, for most people, uh, or average size men, about every five pounds, you're probably going to find yourself having to adjust something to, to keep it going, which usually means that it's going to come with a burst. Cause it goes from like, you know, it was a surplus. Now your body weight's kind of adapted. It's caught up. Uh, so it's, it's closed that up. So now you want to open it back up. And that usually means that two weeks later, it's like, Ooh, you might gain 1.75 pounds, but usually what happens is four weeks later, you or then six weeks later, after you made that adjustment, usually it trends back into a, uh, I guess, it, something that's more suitable uh, in terms of rate of gain over the long term. So, so every five pounds, I feel like I personally have to just recalibrate things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you do make that adjustment, sort of how much would you increase calories by? Ooh, um, I, I like a good... 15 ish percent, you know, okay. uh, that's, that's usually assertive. It, yeah, it, it's pretty assertive. It's enough to get me out of that ambiguous intake where is, is, is it hypocaloric on some days? Is it hyper? Right. So, so gets me right out of that. It, and I feel comfort in knowing that, okay, now I'm, is I stimulate my body in the gym, we we're going to for sure have the means to adapt from the training in the most predictable way possible. Yeah, I think that's an important concept where when you're bulking, you kind of want to be in a place where you know that you're in a surplus, where Mm -hmm. I think when people try and flirt with, yeah, like, you know, 0.25% a month or something where they're, you know, gaining like half a pound a month, it becomes so small where you're really getting below the resolution of your scale or whatever the measure you're using. And you could easily spend a month or two just yeah. at maintenance and not recognize until, you know, like there could just be some water, water weight issues that just throw everything off. Or, or just like your food intake for you. That's a big one, right? It's like your food weighs less in the off season compared to like in beyond season. Right. And so it, to me, it's just, it's miraculous that we can weigh so consistently like day after day, given all the many, you know, different variables hmm. that, you know, impact your body weight. But like you said, still, it's a very, it's a very, uh, the, the tool's still quite limited in regards to like what is happening. So yeah, that's why I do like slightly more assertive uh, surplus calories, just because it, um, yeah, it, it gets us away from what is, what I estimate to be the margin of error of, of the scale in regards to like what is actually going on. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of macros, 
what's your protein add and how do you like to split up carbs and fats? Yeah. Um, so I think for the majority of people, like whether it's a higher fat, uh, right. Or a lower fat diet, higher carbs, slightly lower carb. Most people are going to sit pretty well, like anywhere between just to throw a number out there, you know, as long as their fat is somewhere in the say 20% to 40% of their total calories, most people will do well there. But I, I personally definitely do a little bit better with, with lower fat. So um, my general rule is like, try to make your calories and your protein while keeping your fat below triple digits, usually. Okay. Um, so, you know, definitely when, when it is time to prep, you know, I'm more meticulous about that. But off season, you're a little bit more metabolically flexible, for sure. And I like to take advantage of that just in case, hey, I want a few extra whole legs on this day or something like that. But uh, I'm mostly a calories and protein guy. Uh, and I, I tend to already by default, and I think it might be just influenced by the habits one picks up along the way, just tend to eat a little bit more on the lower fat side of things because, you know, fat is sneaky and it adds up really quick. So by not pursuing that actively, it, it, it usually helps me uh, keep track of my caloric intake without necessarily having to be overly meticulous and like weigh everything, you know, carbs and fat, you can usually see. And I, I like that. Mm -hmm. And then carbs and protein. Yeah. Carbs right. and protein. You can see. Yeah. And then in terms of the nutrient timing aspect of things, how do you like to distribute those macros across the day on a typical kind of usual structure day? Mm. So this is where it does contrast from prep because prep it's, there's a few things I'm looking at is like, what is going to yield me the best performance? Mm. Uh, what is going to squeeze out as much neat as, as I, I, I can have? Mm. Uh, like that's one thing I see with the intermittent like fasting folks. It's like, it's like, but you're a sloth until like 2 PM, you know? <laughs> so yes. So I, I take that into consideration. And then also like in regards to hunger, what kind of keeps that at a level that's appropriate given where we are in the prep. So those are the, usual, the, the three factors. And, and then when it's time for off season, it's almost the exact opposite. It's like, hey, what, uh, what lets me not feel so stuffed and I guess digestively behind schedule in regards to like eating patterns. Um, and, uh, and then of, of course the whole protein timing, I do try to just, just in case have myself at least four protein feedings a, a day. Uh, but that's, that's as meticulous as, as, as we get. And again, there's for some people, I think for a lot of people, there's probably going to be a transition, you know, cause I'm speaking of like opposite ends here as you go from prep where maybe you're basing your intake off those uh, descriptions I just gave, and it's going to take a while before it gets to what I described as the way I approach my nutrient timing in the off season. Like you might still have to, um, you know, like you might still be a little bit more food dependent when you're coming out of prep. And, and that's something you have to take into consideration. And, you know, you might have to space out your food in a way where it lets you be just mentally available when it comes to all the other things outside of, of the gym. So it, it, it definitely, it doesn't just go from, you know, left to right. Like there is this bridge that we have to cross and, and those things are kind of blended during the initial phases of, of recovery, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Do you think at all about distributing your carbs and fats throughout the day? Mm. Right now, off season, um, not too much. Um, I try to get a nice head start in terms of calories in the morning, mm -hmm. um, mostly because I'm not hungry then. And because I'm not hungry, it's like something that can lead to a 11 a.m. breakfast if, if I'm not careful. So mm -hmm. I try to get a big head start there um, and then just pace it as I see fit. And I train in in the yeah yeah almost at night anywhere between 6 to 7 p.m so what, what i like is it like my pre-workout meal can be almost anything so long as i consume maybe some protein beforehand okay um so which is nice because you know when you're dieting it's like man i i need a bagel and then by the end of you know the prep it's like i might need a bagel and a half just to like feel not distracted and like, like, like in pain while I'm there. Um, but off season, no, I think the thing that sticks the most there is just getting my protein feedings in and letting everything else just kind of flow with, with, uh, the day. Um, you're just so much more resilient when you're well-fed, you know, it's like right now, I'm sure your, your pre, uh, pre gym meal is probably pretty important. Um, and right now I'm in the exact opposite place where legit, like I can, maybe I, maybe I didn't have my meal. I'm, I need to train an hour and I haven't eaten in five hours. Like I can totally just have a scoop of protein and I'm like, okay, I'm good to go. Let's go train. And I feel awesome. You know, that would not be the case when I am like 6% body fat or something like that. So, um, so yeah, I like to take advantage of the pliability and and as long as the, like the the protein feedings are there, they kind of serve as anchors to remind me to like get my food in and just to remember where I might be at this point on on that given day. Yeah, that's an interesting little dichotomy where I think the peri workout window actually kind of reverses between prep and bulking, where when you're deep in prep that periwork on nutrition is probably where you have like the most calories just because yeah. you're just trying to optimize performance. Whereas when you're bulking, sometimes my periwork on meals are the smallest of the day. Cause I don't want yes. to be puking in the gym, right? Because you just have so much in your stomach and GI tract already. And I think the other thing is when you're, when you're bulking, you just have that energy availability. You just have all these carbs floating around your glycogen is always full. And the thing I think people don't always get is that bodybuilding training isn't that demanding on the grand scale of athletics. So like, it's not like you need to be carb loading, like specifically for workouts all the time, especially when you're in a surplus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what you have stored in the muscle is what you have stored in the muscle at that point. That's, you know, no pre-workout meal is going to change that. Um, whereas, you know, how it goes, man, prep, what it's like, you can feel different on the hour. So, and ironically, we tend to feel a little better right after our meals. So it does become very important that like, I, I usually, even now, like I, right now, I don't like to eat a whole lot pre-training just like yourself. Um, but as I get deeper into prep, it's like that meal just go, gets closer and closer. Like I can't eat oats in the off season. Like they just, they sit there. It seems like for <laughs> yeah. like eight hours. And when I'm dieting, like I can have those like <laughs> yeah. 30 minutes before and like, let's go, They're gone. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then one other thing is, do you think at all about distributing calories differently throughout the week? Like any kind of like cyclical, you know, intake? 
Yeah, yeah, uh, off season, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what? I think that's kind of built in already when you do have a a range, you know, because much like I, I want my athletes to pick the appropriate loads when they're lifting, um, like that, that's going to help us a lot when it comes to like what we do over the course of the entirety of the block. If they don't, you know, want to press those dumbbells because for this many reps, because of what they did the week before mm -hmm. when, you know, they're kind of just going with the flow, which over time they've kind of learned to really listen to and be objective with their decision-making. So the same thing with off-season calories where, you know, I like to have a pretty decent window there. And as the athlete gets more experienced, I even like to increase that more so. And, and that's how I typically cycle calories over the course of the week. So, you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to turning over the week and a fresh week is starting and I just feel beat up, man. It's like, okay, well, well you know, I have Sunday off. I think I'm going to eat at the higher end of my caloric range and really try to make it on time for that next session. Uh, but yeah, a lot of it is going to be based on physical activity for that day, that week. And then also where am I recovery wise uh, relative to where I am in that meso cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I think that's the nice thing about, you know, having an intuitive approach where kind of, if you go by hunger signal, like often this tracks up and down with your train demands and such. Mm -hmm. So it can work out pretty nicely. I know that you tend to be someone who runs on the higher side of, you know, metabolism and calorie intake. Any tips for people who have like trouble getting in enough calories or, you know, quote, hard gainers, people who, who have trouble eating enough? Yeah. Oh, this is, this is a strange one. I, I, uh, I recently found out that I was, I can't digest dairy as well as I, I used to. Mm -hmm. So for the longest time this off season, whey proteins were my, my go-to because mm -hmm. I'm like, Hey, I can just pound this and it's quick. It's easy. It's liquid, mm -hmm. but my hunger signaling just wouldn't get any better. And in this case, obviously I want to be just a tad hungrier than I actually am most of the time. Um, so I got rid of that and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's like that nice level of hunger, you know, where like I, I actually am looking forward to eating and, and, you know, uh, three to five hours after most meals, it's like, I'm ready to, to go again. So it was <laughs> a lot of my digestive backup was based off that one thing in my mm. diet, the, the, the whey protein. Um, so what, what I'd say is I do try to, you know, I, I try to live a healthy lifestyle. So first and foremost, you know, I'm going to try to eat foods that are chronically good for you, you know, should you <clears throat> put them in your diet regularly. And the next layer would be is like, so what, what can I digest? So for example, um, I, I can't do broccoli, even though it's great for you. Like I, I can't like it, it maybe, you know, once a week at most, uh, but it just, makes me feel odd for like a day and a half. So, you know, that's one that I, I avoid. So, so yeah, paying attention to what it is that you can digest. Well, I usually stick to foods that make me feel like, should I be able to train in say 90 minutes, two hours, I can do that. And that is what the majority of my food choices are in the off season. It's, it's foods that fit that category. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 A lot of it comes down to 
what you can digest. And yeah, I think this is something where it really does come down to the individual. And like a lot of people will kind of try and pass off digestion. You know, some people have said you know, it's an old bodybuilder myth, but there, there are a lot of, you know, little intolerances that people, it may not be medically diagnosed or something mm -hmm. uh, that you just don't realize, but there are things that just work better for you. And it behooves you to just try things out. It's crazy during uh, during your prep though. It's almost the exact opposite. Like you'll take a little gastric bloating for the sake of like not feeling <laughs> hungry. It's like I'd rather feel that, you know, instead of instead of actual hunger. Uh, it just just off topic a little bit, but like yeah. I am a notoriously slow eater, which I think helps me during my prep. Mm. So I, yes, yes, right? me too. And but but off season, it's like it's like the clock is ticking. It's like there's my food. It's like all right, I get this all in before my brain starts telling me that like, you're good, bro. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a double edged sword being a slow eater, you know, when you're, when you're <laughs> pounding down, yeah, like some huge meal and bulking, I'm trying to think of, you know, times for myself, but it'd just be like a huge stack of rice cakes or something. And it's just like, yes, yeah. got to get, get these down before my body stops me. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah. Zooming out a little bit and talking more about the actual periodization of things and longer timescales. Did you, uh, what, what were you doing in terms of mini cuts throughout the off season? How often and for how long? So, you know, for the longest time, I was pushing these like really long gaining phases, like anywhere from a year to two years. And you know what? I think there's certain spots in that intermediate phase in the, on the earlier side of that, where that might be the ticket for you. Like you might need to disappear into anabolism land, like for a, an extended period of time. Mm. But now I think with, especially with the more established folk, it's like, I like six to eight month gaining phases. And I think this is important from just having some texture in your life, you know, where, you know, it can eventually, it's just the, the, the water gets kind of muddy, too muddy when you are gaining for an extended period of, of time. So just changing that up a little bit just keeps people more engaged in when it, when it comes to the task at hand and how it relates to their their long-term goals and also you get a chance to play with certain dieting schemes and it gives you mm. more experience with uh the, the the fat loss phases and that's especially important if you know at some point you you want to prep again or you're going to prep for the first time so it's it's good to have that practice built into your your training so i i like six to eight month gaining phases and it also allows us to work with again an intake that's a little bit less ambiguous because we are going to be gaining or pushing calories a little bit more assertively and that's okay because it's okay you know if we overshoot by a little bit in six to eight months we have a fat loss phase coming up that'll put us right back where we belong mm -hmm. yeah no i really like that and it's cool how you talk about having that frequency of those little fat loss phases because yeah that's a I think it's kind of underrated where like having that practice over repeated cuts gets you really gives you that experience with doing them whereas if you just did like 
a really long, I don't know, four month cut every like couple of years or something, you wouldn't have those reference experiences to draw back on and like data from across the years. Um, it's also cool how, yeah, like having, I think having a bit of a longer bulk when you're more advanced, like, yeah, more than a few months gives you time to really like kind of get that, get that momentum as people talk about. Yeah. In terms of the actual kind of stepwise progression from bulk to bulk, like, let's say you ran a six to eight month bulk and then you do a mini cut. How much weight will you gain and then how much weight will you lose in that cut? You know, I think it depends if it's a mini or it's a little bit more, um, right? Um, but usually it's going to be somewhere around six to 8% of your, your body weight. Um, that, that seems to be where I, I end up taking most, most people. So somewhere in the six to eight, I, I don't like them to be maybe as lean as I like people to start a contest prep, but just enough where, Hey, we can afford to expose this body to a surplus again. So yeah, and what ends up happening is that people's top in body is it was funny because this is bodybuilding, but their top in body weight and their low in body weight, they they during these cycles, they end up trending downwards. Right. So they kind of just start doing this. And I think a lot of that is just because you know, as time goes on, uh, things just get more refined. I think primarily yeah. in this case, the the person's habits. Um Right. So like when they go out and they eat with friends, it's like they don't feel like they yeah. have to get the, the most robust thing, rebellious thing on the menu. And then on, on my end, um, you know, from a surplus standpoint, we're honing in on that and we're only taking as much as we need. And from a training standpoint, the system's getting better and better. So we have a training system now in place that matches up more with this athlete's abilities to adapt to it consistently. So the cost of doing business when you're gaining is gaining fat. It gets less expensive as, as we go on. Mm -hmm. So it's bodybuilding, but it's funny how our weights, especially as drug-free athletes tend to like kind of trend downwards as we get our stuff together more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause on one hand, you're like, you expect yourself to be slowly gaining muscle over time. But on the other hand, like as you become more experienced, your body weight actually starts trending down. Like this has totally applied to me where back in my like dreamer bulk days, I think, <laughs> yeah, you know, like I would have these massive Costco muffins and, and like, you just have, it, it was just normal to have like very large portions with lots of like processed food and sugar and, and, and all that crap where you kind of like tighten up your habits and you're like, oh, now it's very normal for me to, you know, to just have like some pasta and, and chicken or like, and, and plenty of vegetables and fruits and, you know, keeping, keeping a lid on things and you're just more used to it. Yeah. Yeah. The system's much less crude, like overall as, as, as you continue with it. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of this off season, what was different from prior off seasons? Um, man, good, the bad, right. Uh, we'll start with the bad. I definitely yeah. ran into a, a, a point uh, in 2000, I think it was nine, middle of 18, it leaked into 19, where I wasn't very motivated to train at all. So, um, 
So, you know, I, I know how that goes and it's like, okay, I'm going to give myself one less training day than I usually do. Uh, I'm going to do a lot of the things that I seem to be enjoying more, which at that point was squats and, and good mornings. Mm. And I'm going to minimize my time in the gym by doing a lot of myo rep work, you know, um, so that I can get to the point where, hey, you know, the week runs out and I'm like, man, I can go for another training day or more and more gym sessions happen where I'm like, man, I wish I could stay a little longer. So, you know, rather than beating yourself into submission, I think sometimes taking the more nurturing route is probably the best way to go about that when when that happens and you know i've done this long enough where i've had enough of those phases where it's like okay i know these things you know they they need to take their natural course and and once they do you'll be right back where you were you know as a hyper motivated bodybuilder so that was a good little chunk of time and and after that, I think what really helped actually was the lockdown where like, it got taken away for, to another level, right? Um, so four months without a gym, I remember going back to the gym and I'm like, oh my God, a leg curl. Yes, it feels yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, and, and since then, I've, I've been right back on it and, and things have been, yeah, just, just amazingly uh, predictable. So, so not, nothing too much in regards to nutritional intervention. Mm. I have um, gone a little bit down the rabbit hole of just trying to make things a little bit more ergonomic when it comes to my exercise selection, just because for most, especially drug-free bodybuilders, the, the bottleneck is going to be your joints holding up. So I'm using a lot more cables than ever, a lot more things that just really fit me and you know, when performing that exercise, it's me against the load and not me against the load against my body sort of deal. Hmm. Um, and that's yielded terrific results, uh, I think cosmetically, but I think most importantly, I just feel good and not nearly as achy as I did maybe two years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that's definitely something I think comes with time where you start as you just kind of accumulate more aches and pains <laughs> yeah. which is kind of an unfortunate reality of the sport but uh yeah you it really forces you to think about your training more and I think this kind of been, happened to me in my last off season where I was like I just got really busy and stressed out with life and stuff and I didn't pay too much attention to my program it just kind of like ran a lot of things um into the ground and then I like didn't realize till too late that I was like oh man I like terrible tendonitis in my like quad tendon where it's just like oh it hurts to walk like it's been hurting to walk for a while now i think this is a problem <laughs> and, and man you're you're at that stage with your prep where you know we become so transparent to stress right it's like all the little things that maybe get to you outside of the gym uh right that just annoy you that make you feel a certain way like it becomes very obvious to you right it's like your wick is smaller now so you 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 really know what's what in that regard and the same thing happens with training i know every time i prep it's like my body's so transparent that as i'm doing my stuff i'm like this makes no sense man like why am i doing this like this this makes no sense because you know there's overlap coming from this so I really like the, the the fact that okay, I think I have a good system right now in the off season, but let's expose it to the low body fat. Let's expose it to the caloric deficit, and then we'll really find out how much of this actually makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Going through cuts and preps is really a the crucible of you know <laughs> testing out your training design and like how efficient is it. 
what was your split during the off season? Mm. Um, man, I've been on the same split for about a year and some change now. Um, and it's um, the, the main principle there when it comes to the micro cycle, the split is going to be that the first day of the week is going to be the most important day of your training. Mm -hmm. So whatever you want to prioritize the most, assuming, you know, as you turn weeks, you're coming in fresh to that week. That's the most important day. Second day could either be the second most important day, or maybe you need a cruisy day with strong body parts before you get to the third day, which could be, you know, it could be flipped, could be the stretch, the, 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 the thing that's second most in need or a cruisy day after two days of going pretty hard with high priority body parts. Mm. And then as the week goes on, I guess the importance and uh, the, the potency of the stimulus kind of dwindles down a little bit so that okay. again, you can start the week and you're freshly charged up. So for me right now, that's going to be uh, shoulders and arms day one, and since those aren't really all that fatiguing, I can go ahead and throw in my second most important area I want to work on, which is going to be hamstrings. So a lot of my hinging takes place there. Then I usually have a day off. So then I can, and then the, so I can freshen up for those, la, the, those previous two pretty intense days. And then I have my, I guess, back and chest day because um, trunk muscles are, are decently high priority, but not as much as the other stuff. Uh, and then my quad is just days is kind of hanging there. Uh, like that one, those tend to do pretty well, regardless of what I do. And then finally, I end the week with a upper body day that just kind of brushes up over everything. But of course, what is priority there is going to be the areas that need uh, the most work within everything above the waist. Um, so the days kind of, yeah, they, they in a way lose importance as, uh, as the week goes on. Um, and I really like having the option of having a final day that you can amputate every once in a while, you know, whether life happens or, or, you know, that was quite the week. And if you really want to make it into, into the next week, fresh and ready to go, it's like, okay, I better just chop this off this time. It doesn't happen super frequently, but it's, it's a good thing to have there. Yeah, no, that's a super cool split. I've thought about something similar and I think I'm going to cover that in a YouTube video at some point. Um, but I, I really like that idea of having the, the flexibility, as you said, the ability to, to amputate, let's be surgical here with our, with our gains, but, um, yeah, like it's, it's been super handy right now for me. Like I'm following a full body split four days per week, but like, yeah, the, the beauty of full body is that you just have like unlimited customizability, right. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. and it's very easy to, to just kind of bring things in and out and kind of that last upper body day, I guess, for you is kind of nice to just polish up on things that, that, you know, and, and even things out from an auto-regulation standpoint. In terms of your training, did you have any goals for the inter, maybe in terms of numbers or exercises or anything in terms of that, that you set out? Yeah. Um, I wanted to squat 500 pounds and I, I did that. Um, and I was excited because I did that with like two to three sets a week of the actual squat. So I knew, yeah, know that there's yeah. a, there's a big jump in improvement when you go from one days to two days in, of, of squatting a week. Um, so I never got to actually add that because I didn't really ever get stuck. And then the lockdown happened and then I came back and 
I was so rusty with the squat. I'm like, you know what? Never mind this. This is yeah. going to take too long to get yeah. that again. Um, so I got that done. I wanted a good morning somewhere in the um, in, in the 400. So we did that. Uh, I wanted what else? Uh, wanted to uh, deadlift 600 pounds, which I didn't do, but I still have three weeks, and I think I might be able to. So I might give it a whack before prep starts, just nice. just for funds. Um, and with the other numbers, I think enough things changed from a technical standpoint that like I found a way to increase the ROM on my dumbbell presses, for example. Hmm. Um, so that obviously impacted load. Um, but I, I think what I am most proud of, because this is a skill that I really wanted to, to work on, I wanted to have my grinder sets be a lot more like Jeff Albert's, where you know, in other sports, being able to improvise is, is a good thing, you know, um, like when our cousins, the powerlifters kind of misgroove, like, you know, part of that skill is like being able to put it back and finish that lift, you know, um, with us, not so much. It's like, we want to hold the muscle to the fire that we're, we've decided we want to aim for. And that's something that Jeff does really well, where, Hey, things can be getting kind of, kind of gritty here, but he's able to virtually make the first rep look like the last rep. So yeah. that's a skill that I really wanted to improve on. And, and I've done a wonderful job with that. It does impact sometimes your bottom line in regards to like what the numbers look like, but in regards to the stimulus that you're getting, because you're improvising less, uh, you're getting much better stimulus and arguably a lot less fatigue when you do get into those fight or flight sets. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff is a, a machine yeah in terms of yeah that's that's cool hearing about your squat in terms of like your main lifts very briefly in broad strokes how was the programming set up it's interesting how you said you you were only doing a few sets of actual squatting mm. yeah um so it, it kind of depends on, on where i'm at um if i like my current strength levels with my main lifts i'll usually run something very simple where it's like hey from six reps to 10 reps is, is the, the, the rep range. Once I am able to complete 10 reps with all the sets and do it a number of times. So not just once, but like two or three times, it's like, okay, that's my load. I've officially graduated. And it doesn't have to happen on consecutive weeks either. So that's usually my, my bread and butter. When I am feeling that neurologically, I'm feeling a bit slow. I will throw in phases where it's like, I have that top end load that I use. I have top sets where I hit something in the six-ish rep range with one or two in the tank. And then from there, I bring it down and get more practice with lighter weight, usually bring it down by about 10% or so. So those are my two moneymaker progression schemes, like just this slow, gradual buildup, do it a few times. Okay. Now that load is actually your load and then work on the next one. Uh, but when that's running a little stale, I'll usually, because I'm kind of influenced by the strength side of things and I understand mm -hmm. the importance of that, uh, I'll, I'll pick on something that really makes me get the most out of that first set when I'm most fresh and hopefully can, I guess, yeah, in increase the, the, the size of my strength capacity. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I love the top set back off method. And I think that there's a lot of utility, even just for bodybuilders, because, mm -hmm. you know, the idea of 
more strength, giving you the ability to apply more tension to your muscles. If you were only doing, you know, a few sets of squats a a week, how would you spread those? Like, were you squatting multiple times a week and then having the rest come from accessory work? I think what having less overall volume was doing for me, um, man, surely you know about this because you had to do a whole lot of studying to get here. Um, You know, sometimes when you have a lot of time to do something, it's a little bit more like distracted, mm-hmm. you know, it's like picking up the phone or who's, let me already go on Facebook real quick, yeah. you know, that, that sort of deal. But since I only had two to three sets a week, what it did is it made all my warmups that much more meticulous. Mm. I was taking notes during those warmups. So especially if you're thinking about lifting from a strength perspective and especially with a free weight exercise, like it really is study time. It's like really pay attention to what everything is doing. So by kind of condensing that, even though it was once a week, it was not very frequent, not ideal when it comes to trying to gain strength on a specific lift. It really, really made me pay attention. Whereas when I was actually powerlifting on purpose, sometimes I was squatting three times a week. And realistically, sometimes you're just trying to get through this stuff. You know, it's like, this is what my sheet says. Let me just do this. Okay, good. I was a good boy today. Let's move on. Right. So it, it really helped in, in that regard. It was just like, okay, you don't see this again for, for a week you better, better put your best foot forward here. And with that, it was a single RPE seven, eight, mm. and then one to two back offsets mm. uh, of five with a minus 15% drop. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's, that's fascinating. I think that kind of having that approach where you're really very tactical about how mm. you s- distribute your effort when you're, when you become an advanced bodybuilder, right? Like you, the fatigue aspect of things is such a big player. And like, you don't have the recoverability to go and hit like eight by five, you know, like someone's just like, oh yeah, you're a power builder. That's great. Just lift heavy and train with volume, you know, like that doesn't work at an advanced level. So like being very, you know, thoughtful about how you spend your main lifts, uh, the energy on them. And then you know, getting in a lot more hypertrophy or volume training from all the other work that you do. So yeah, that was great to hear about your off season. Really interesting. I think maybe just segueing a bit into more recent times, how have you been setting up for your prep? Uh, so December, I went on a cut um, and I was floating in the lowish 190s, as high as 195 sometimes. Um, and I brought it down to sub 180. I think that wrapped up somewhere in February. Um, so since like mid-February, I've been kind of just running a very um, conservative surplus, I'd say. Mm. Um, and I've probably since February gained maybe a pound and a half, maybe two pounds. Um, and that's because I do start prepping three weeks. And you know I took off that way to set myself up so that I can start at a much better place. And right now what I'm kind of running is that like it's a rejuvenation phase of sorts. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, let's get all the systems going at 100 again um, so that we roughly only have 15 pounds to lose, I think, okay. and 24-ish weeks to do it in. Nice. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. I think this is, this is kind of, I don't know if I've heard people talk about this too much, but I like have a very much similar approach where you know they talk about the diet before the diet where Mm -hmm. i think maneuvering yourself into the right position before starting prep 
is really, really important. And like planning for things far ahead of time is something that I think almost universally, you know, first time preppers get wrong where they're just like, yeah, three month prep. And then, and then, yeah. But I think having that initial pre-diet diet to get you into a striking distance and then that little, what you call the rejuvenation phase, I think is very smart where, yeah, like I'll run like a, like a little mini lean bulk where mm-hmm. you, I've heard some people, you know, say like, go do a maintenance phase before. I think that having being in a slight surplus will give you, will really get you into that, that place where everything is, is bouncy, right? Right. Like where everything is feeling good. Ideally, like your metabolism is running high. Like your body is, is feels like it has plenty of energy to go around so that when you actually start to impose a deficit, it really feels it right. And, and gets going. Yeah. yeah. You want to guarantee that you're fresh and ready to go because yeah, if you were too conservative, it's like, what if you had another 10% to heal up, but you, you didn't do that. And now you're starting this prep a little compromised and, you know, by the end, we're all very compromised. So, you know, reasonable amount of weight to lose. And, you know, the longer you do this, the closer you can play with fire and get closer to that. Um, and, and the fresher you are in combination with a good starting point, the more it guarantees you that not only will you get there, but also potentially, you know, peak weeks have changed and people are starting to eat up into shows and, and see the benefit in that. It puts you in a better place to actually... Uh, I guess rejuvenate a little bit during the last legs of uh, of the prep, but uh, but yeah, man, like wouldn't we went from twelve week diets to like twenty week diets? I guess bodybuilders kind of saw it as like, well, I have twenty weeks, so what I do in the off season doesn't matter. You know, like <laughs> forty pounds to lose, twenty weeks, it's gonna work out, and that that just wasn't the case uh, most of the time. So yeah, I think more people are doing it this way, and once you do it this way, it's hard to do it any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any plans for this prep that you are going to do differently? Oh, man, there's things that I'm still kind of going back and forth with. Um, so I, I, I did just turn 39 a month ago. So from a cardiovascular health perspective, I think I do want to include cardio. I've, okay. I've really never done that. And last time it was just steps. So I, I think I want to include some cardio in there. Um, just because I feel better when I actually do it. Um, and what I'm still kind of wrestling with is last prep, I didn't do a whole lot of tracking. I just kind of, you know, guidelines similar to my gaining phases where it's like you have these ranges, you know what it should feel like going from 175 to 160, from 170 to 165. And, and you just move things around based off all the moving parts that are going to yield a better final product. And that, while that worked very well, you can't help but question like, do I get, am I getting in my own way at times, right? So I'm thinking about maybe actually, you know, it's, it's a time to try things too. Maybe try something that's a little bit more meticulous, a little bit less decision-making. So let, so thus less decision-making fatigue Yeah, and, and maybe even doing something where it's like, okay, we have these meals almost, and this is, this is how you do it. Um, and of course, you know, if something happens where I have to be pliable, you know, social stuff, things like that, it's like, I have the skill set. but I think, 
I'm leaning towards going about it that way and mm -hmm. just seeing if that yields a final product and if it makes my perception of the suck a little bit less than than usual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting to hear, right? Like kind of going back and forth between the structure, the amount of structure you want to include. And it's that's I think that's the beauty of running these, you know, running preps over the years where you have all this data now and uh, you can really start to play with things and see how it affects your physique. So yeah, I think this has been a fun talk and people are going to learn a lot in terms of the bulking side of things and what uh, an actual advanced athlete is doing. So thanks again for being on the show. Where can people find you? Uh, 3dmusclejourney.com. Um, I'm most active on Instagram myself and that's Nunez3dmj. We have a YouTube channel, Team3dmj. Um, and hey, we've been good with putting out stuff I think the last year or so. So, so, so yeah, yeah, I've, I've been, I've been digging being able to just personally, especially when you're prepping is like, you just want to share more because it is funny yeah. and exciting and new things happen every week. Um, so I will be documenting a lot of it, uh, because yes, I have things to actually share and, uh, and not only that, but it serves as a good memoir. Like I'm sure you go back at your, and see yeah. your old videos from many years ago and you're like, man, <laughs> those were some good times, man. So I, I definitely want to do that. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about Berto's last off season, just, you know, look up bulking in the year 3000. He has a whole series, which have the most hilarious thumbnails, man. <laughs> So yeah, and make sure you check them out to really get some high level bodybuilding advice. And thanks, for, thanks again for being on the show. Hey, appreciate you having me, man. Thank you. That's all for now, guys. Thanks for listening. I am available on a very limited basis for one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm not cheap, but if you are really serious about taking your physique to the next level, DM me the word coaching on Instagram. For more science-based bodybuilding content, look up Dr. Swole on YouTube, and we'll see you next time.